This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello, and welcome to the Win Grin podcast. Today, we welcome David Bloom onto the show. David is the Chief Business Development Officer at both Capriati's and Wingzone, with over 250 stores across both brands and growing rapidly. David has an extremely interesting and inspiring story, and we are excited to share more with you today. David, thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. I enjoy this, and I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. First off, is that a guitar behind you? Yeah, my uh, there's an electric and an acoustic, and I have another one. My pandemic commitment was to learn a musical instrument, and I cannot say that I've mastered it, but I have definitely finally, very late in life, decided to pick up guitar. And it's, I just, I will never be any good, but I, I still enjoy it. Have you graduated from smoke on the water to, to something more challenging? I'm one of those guys that loves to practice versus play. So like when I play golf, I just hit the driving range and I rarely play. And guitar, I'm the same thing. I just practice a lot. And I'm never going to be like playing really good songs and being a band or anything like that. So I have no illusions. And uh, but I really, like I said, I really enjoy it. And there's so many cool apps and nowadays to learn at home remotely when I have time, which is often at night. It's just really convenient. I love it. I used to play the trombone, so we'll have to. Maybe we could start a band together one day. Yeah, I was always jealous of people that had any musical talent. It just seems like the coolest thing in the world to me to be able to do that. And like I said, I just think it's it's great for people like myself that are used to being in control and driving everything all day long because you're never in control. It takes practice. You're always making mistakes and, you know, just lots of good life lessons in there, I think. Yeah. And on the topic of life lessons and, you know, it seems like you have invested a lot of time and resources in, into making an impact, specifically I was looking at your LinkedIn page before, and the banner photo on your LinkedIn page is you outside holding a child with a bunch of happy children surrounding both of you. What's the backstory to that photo? I was chief operating and development officer for Bridge International Academies based in Nairobi, Kenya, and that's at one of the schools. And Bridge um, is one of, if not the fastest growing education company in the developing world. So I got to spend some time living over there, working over there, obviously in very economically depressed areas, mm -hmm. but building schools at a very low cost that deliver very high quality education at scale. So I really got to work in a really unique environment, a bit of the Wild West. When it comes from you know a business standpoint, it's pretty crazy over there. And really enjoyed it, learned a lot, and uh, spent a year about over there just Working in sl essentially slums, uh, bridges in a, quite a few countries today in the developing world, but it was a unique time and I really enjoyed it. Look back on it. It's incredible. How do you feel your time in Kenya has contributed to you, your ability to, to be successful, you know, now stateside? Yeah, I think number one in the developing world, there's very little infrastructure. So we talk about supply chain issues here and things like that. Well, there's not even street names. So when you're trying to buy land and build a school and you have to pay somebody to, to do the, you know, all the geo coding and, you know, all the, the pinpoints and all, there's really not a solid legal system to be able to go in and 
do the land acquisition and there's all government regulations and tribal regulations and things like that. So navigating all that while you're having people demanding bribes and kidnap your construction teams and kidnap and hold for ransom your employees and, you know, doing all that in a pretty dangerous environment. I will say on the one hand, it gave, when I got back to the U.S., I had to get a heart stent put in because I had so much, I think, stress. I just, you know, almost killed my, and worked 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day. And flip side, there's not too much that I don't think I can handle. You know, nowadays there's not too much that happens that really phases me a whole lot because over there you really do have life and death situations. And here we rarely have that. Yeah, I can imagine that perspective that it has given you has, has been valuable. And speaking to some of your incredible work stateside, you've been the pioneer of growing so many impressive brands, currently growing Capriotis and, and Wingzone. Based on my research, there's 112 Capriotis, 80 Wingzone locations. How many of each are, are corporate-owned versus franchise? There's actually 165 Capriotis, so probably the with another 300 in development. And there's about 70 Wingzones with about 100 in development. Wow. We own and operate about 10% of the Capriati's brand ourselves. We acquired Wingzone at the end of last year. And by the end of next year, we will be the largest owner and operator of Wingzones as well. So philosophically, we believe in being in the same business as our franchise partners to kind of align us and level set and make sure we're all focused on the same things. And so we're in the process of doing that with Wingzone. But both are just high growth brands that are growing both domestically and internationally at a really rapid pace. It's incredible. When a restaurant group goes through the decision-making process of scaling through opening more corporate locations versus franchising, what are the key pros and cons to each route? Well, franchising is really what you'd call an asset light model yep. where you're getting other, you know, really development or business partners involved that are making investments and you're giving up certain amount of control in exchange for that because you're dependent on them being the owner and operator and the you know community representative and all those good things. And so you really have to look at that. Fast growth brands often are franchise models because it allows you to effectively raise capital and deploy it very quickly. But there are lots of successful company-owned, you know, Starbucks, Chipotle, uh, places like that have grown really well over the years as well. So I've done both in lots of different verticals, not just in restaurants. And there's pluses and minuses, I think, on either side. So it has a lot to do with, you know, really what is the mandate from the investment group and what are you looking to do and what is the opportunity long term to grow those brands and what's the best way to achieve those goals? That makes a lot of sense. And I love how your philosophy of Corporate also running some stores in, in addition to, to franchising to understand the how to best operate a store to set others up for success too. Yeah, it's a big, big part of our business model because it's also where we do all of our testing, all of our technology innovation development, develop our people, do all of our training. So there's a lot of tangential benefits that are actually really critical to the long-term health of the, uh, of the company. Yeah. So both brands are going through incredible growth right now. Congratulations. I'd love to take all that credit, but I would just say, you know, while I've been a part of teams that have done those things, I've never done any of those things by myself. So, you know, I've just, it's always the investors, the senior leadership team, the employees, the franchise partners, the managers, the all the employees and, and candidly the customers. And so 
having alignment around all that, around the vision and values is super important. And I've been really fortunate to be a part of those types of groups. It's amazing. At this stage of growth, as, as you're choosing the new markets to expand to, Mm-hmm. What are the key factors that you take into account when deciding what markets or specifically what communities to open stores in? I really don't take it from a geography first standpoint. I take it from a business partner first standpoint. So my experience is if you have the right partner and you have a sound operating system and good support and infrastructure, as long as you have the right partner, we're going to be successful anywhere. And until we have the right partner, we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's almost 100%. I just got off the phone this morning with a group in Florida, husband and wife team in Florida that's looking to join Capriati side and maybe Wing Zone as, as well. And they've had success in other businesses. And, you know, they asked kind of the same question, why Florida? My answer to them was, it's not about Florida. You know, we'll be in Florida next year. We, are, we just opened a new store in Florida but this week. But and they're look, this group is looking to go a little north of them. I was like, it's not that I'm in love with Florida any more than any other market. It's when we have the right partner, either domestically or internationally, then we'll go. And until we have that, we just don't go. What makes a partner the right partner? I'd say, number one, alignment around values. For us, it starts with that. And our values are really about passion, family, integrity, profitability. Profitability for us means everyone wins. It has to be a win-win. And then genuineness. We We want people to... Join us that are ready to have real conversations and and be able to, you know, kind of contribute to the long term success. So it's a values alignment. Number one. Number two, it's passion for what we do. Like anything, you know, you're like you and your business. What really will determine how big you are and how, you know, is how much you invest in it. Right. And things that you're really passionate about, you're going to invest a lot of time and energy into even when you're not working, you're reading about it, you're listening to it, you're, you know, so those are really critical to us. It's alignment around values and then vision, which for us is where we're going and, and you know, the particular niches that we play in, whether it's the sandwich category or the wing category or whatever other businesses we decide to get in later on. Nice. So as you expand to new markets, how does corporate, what role does corporate play in setting new stores and franchisers up for success? Specifically, how do you help new stores and new markets integrate into the communities that they serve? There's really three things franchise partners have to do. Mm -hmm. They have to find the right location and we provide, we just have an outstanding real estate team. We work with the best local, you know, brokers in the market and we invest a tremendous amount of time and energy and money into uh, what you call an analytic platform to help us find the right sites and make sure we're in the right location because that's really, that's step one. Step two is we provide tremendous amount of training and, and support throughout the pre-opening and, and the grand opening process on the operation side to make sure they're delivering the product and the service that you know consumers are going to demand And step three is really they have to have a long-term commitment to marketing. Mm. And marketing nowadays is fairly complex. It's all the digital platforms and integrations that go on. But it's also, you know, just involvement in the community because nobody knows me. Nobody knows any of us here in Vegas. They're only going to know Evan or whoever it is in the local community. You are, if you are a Capriati's franchisee or Wing Zone, you are Capriati's in that market. That's all they know. And so people that are committed to being part of that community, 
is super important to us. And then we provide them with the tools and the support to help them kind of execute against all those things. So they don't have to go out and create things and figure out how to do it. We've already got all that done and on the shelf and ready to execute. Got it. Well, so we're a community marketing podcast. So so I want to focus on that marketing aspect that you just spoke to. First, you mentioned a long-term commitment to, to marketing. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? You know, you drive down the street, you turn on your radio, you're listening to podcasts, you're doing all the stuff that you do. There's a tremendous amount of noise. And so I think people have to understand that you've got to, in order to stay front of mind with consumers, you have to be out there in a variety of channels or be what we would call omni-channel. So that means whether they're online, on their phone, on their computer, they're turning their radios on, they're going to the, you know, to the local games or they're, you know, participating in the, you know, church functions or school functions, whatever it is, having that omni-channel consistent approach is really important. And I think when you look at brands that do that well, both domestically and internationally, they tend to grow really well and do so consistently over time. You know, one of the things we, we started, we opened up by talking about Bridge International. And one of the lessons I learned there is this theory about a double bottom line mm-hmm. or dual bottom line. And what that means is that you're, you've got a for-profit enterprise that's got a good return on investment. Otherwise, you're not going to attract capital and nobody wants to be in that business. But secondly, you're also creating some sort of social good or change. And if you look at companies that have done that well, and I think you know probably Starbucks is one that's known really well, but Chick-fil-A and lots of other companies, probably, they're invested in their communities from a, a variety of standpoints, local communities and, you know, where they're buying their products or whether it's their coffee or their paper cups, they're creating some positive change in those communities long-term that people can identify with and care about. And companies that do both of those have a really good business model and have that, you know, double bottom line, they tend to be the highest valued, most successful companies over time. So I, I think that's just, it makes good business sense, but it also it creates something that people want to be a part of Mm -hmm. and stay committed to versus just being transactional companies that are just transactional tend not to have a very loyal customer base. They don't tend to have very loyal employees and they, you know, that kind of turnover, especially today can be sort of the kiss of death. So there's lots of positive benefits to it from operations and being able to attract the right employees and keep those people or retain them to customers wanting to be a part of what you're doing and, and, spreading the word for you, you know, word of mouth and, you know, just loyalty has a lot of benefits. So you're not constantly turning over. You're actually, you know, you're building and creating exponential growth, not just a, not just grinding and turning it over. Yeah. Speaking to that double bottom line, in your mind, what comes first, investing in the community or a company's growth? I don't know that I would say either come first. I think it's part of your your business plan has to be like business is hard today, right? Like there's nothing simple and easy about opening a business. So you've kind of got to do everything (laughs) at the same time, right? You've got to build a model that works. You've got to finance it. You've got to open it. You've got to run it. You've got to market it. You've got to be part of the community literally from day one. And some of that is just simple stuff like being the kind of person that people want to work with that they want to talk to, right? Like, 
it's a cliche, old cliche about this being a people business, but it really is a people business, right? Like if you don't build relationships with people, they may work with you, but the minute they have a chance to work with somebody else, they're going to. And so I think it's it's not an either or or first or second. It's all you've got to do it all and you've got to do it all from the beginning and you've got to do it all consistently. Yeah. You had mentioned prior to the call that such an unfair advantage of, of choosing the right, or you, you mentioned it on this show too, choosing the right partners is, is choosing people that understand their community so well. You know, going off of that, I'm sure that as operators are, are running their, their stores, they're learning things that work and things that don't work. How do you effectively share with all store owners, you know, those learnings and build a playbook that, that ultimately all stores are going to be able to play by? Yeah, that's, I think that is actually one of the advantages of being part of a franchise network where you have close relationships with other franchisees in the market. So there's things that just informally happen. The franchise partners, they all belong to a franchise, you know, council. We have a franchise advisory committee that brings all kind of brings the best practices and their thoughts and ideas and what they'd like to see us work on. They bring that to the table. We do, we have lots of communication loops. So we have weekly webinars and newsletters and, you know, just a lot of material that's available to them that, so they don't have to go out and create things, things that have been proven to work. And again, are just kind of on the shelf and they can take off and customize and, they don't, have, they don't have to go find a vendor to print it or to produce it. It's all, it's all set up for them and and it's done at scale. So they're getting leveraged pricing and things like that. So it's really about really, I guess, creating that network where there's completely open access to all those materials. There's a lot of opportunities to jump on webinars and newsletters and talk to people or participate in the forums that, that are all set up. And again, it's for us, it's kind of an omni-channel approach from a communications or support standpoint because it's we have to be able to provide operational support and marketing support and technology support and finance support. And so we have teams of people in all those departments that do that simultaneously. Again, it's not this either or thing. It all has to happen at the same time. Yeah, which makes it all so much more complex, but yeah. when done right, yeah. so impactful. So shifting gears slightly, David, if you could create the most perfect meal, taking mm -hmm. things from both Capriati's and Wingzone, how would you comprise that meal? Well, turkey is still one of my favorites, first of all. <laughs> and we are, just to give you a little anecdote, we use Butterball turkeys. Butterball actually raises mm. a line of turkeys just for Capriati's called the Capriati Super Tom. And we roast whole turkeys in our shops every night. So when you go into a Capriati's, you're actually literally getting kind of that Thanksgiving meal, you know, le Thanksgiving leftovers that was cooked the night before, pulled off the turkey. We're making the stuffing in-house. So mm. thanks, you know, it's still Thanksgiving is probably my favorite meal because of the memories and, and you know, that bringing people together, family together in, so in sort of a non-denominational kind of way. Yeah. So I'd say turkey would be a big part of it. But the flavors on the uh, sauce side on wing zone are, would be a part of that too. So I'd probably use some of the Asian flavor pro profiles that we have on the Capri on the wing zone side to kind of base the turkey. So we'd have like a you know a little bit of a Asian roasted butterball turkey, and it would probably be mm. probably pull those things together. I may have to try that. By the way, <laughs> that sounds incredible. Nothing brings people together like Thanksgiving. 
and like sports. So, so between the two brands, I feel like you, you've, you've really covered the, the, the things that bring everyone together. Yes. The definition of sports nowadays, though, I think has changed a little bit. You know, it used to be the NFL, you know, Major League Baseball, whatever, NBA, hockey. And now, you know, esports, which one of our investors owns one of the very large, probably the largest esports teams and a very large investor in the whole esports arena. That's sports nowadays, right? So the definition of what sports is anymore is really expanding. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that's cool. Yeah. Has Capriati's Wing Zone or any of the amazing companies you, you've been with prior, what has your philosophy been in, in sponsoring sports teams or, or leagues, either on a professional or, or youth sports level? We do both. So we tend to, and again, it's kind of going back over the years, been involved with all the major leagues and done all the, you know, kind of typical advertising. You know, I, I can remember probably 30 years ago when the company I was with, we ran our first Super Bowl ads, how we had to scrape up like a million and a half dollars. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm aging myself here because we could buy a Super Bowl ad for a million and a half bucks. <laughs> what is it now? now? Seven million? Yeah. And that's just like, you know, that doesn't actually produce the ad. That's just the buying yeah. idea. So, you know, I remember the first time I saw my company or the company I worked for, you know, on the Super Bowl and what a huge deal that was. What company was this? It was with Quiznos in oh, the nice. early days, very early days. And it was super cool and it was great. And it was a kind of an inflection point for the brand, which was great. Um, I think today it's, like I said, it's a lot more diverse. So, sponsoring or being a part of esports teams and lots of other kind of things that not just sports, but things that, that, you know, kids and families that are invested in is much bigger and doing so not just on the national level, which is actually kind of difficult, right? Like until you're, until you're really got scale and you can actually, you have enough distribution to make sense of that type of marketing, then you're really going to focus on the local stuff. We are, in like here in Vegas, we're in all the stadiums, right? We have multiple outlets in the stadiums themselves. So we have a deep relationship, not just with the NFL, but we're in Allegiant Stadium with three Capriati shops. And that means we're affiliated with the Raiders themselves and the team and the groups of people that actually run those stadiums, which is a whole nother company. And it's a really fascinating business and we've done really well in it. And so we're, we're continuing to dive deeper in it. But that also includes like universities and all the sports that happen in university, you know, teams. And, you know, now there's all these traveling leagues and all that kind of stuff uh, to get involved with. So there's a lot, a lot of pieces to it, I think, nowadays, because it is such a big part of people's lives. Yeah. Have you been to the new stadium yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first professional event at the stadium was actually uh, U.S. versus Mexico International Soccer Championship. Oh, wow. And I'm kind of a... I don't like to sit in the stands and watch the games. And, you know, obviously we have tickets to everything, but I like to go and like be like in our shops and our restaurants. So working, my wife and I worked the counter for the first couple of games. And it's just crazy to see the fans out just going nuts and having a great time. And one great thing about Vegas is the Raiders are, we're never actually the home team. There's usually more visitors in town for the game than there are people, you know, in Vegas to support the Raiders. And, yeah. you know, if you go down the strip last week, the Bears played here and there were more people from Chicago wearing jerseys on the strip than there were people from Vegas. So it keeps it cool. The Vegas Golden Knights have been great, huge, really, really fun. 
Uh, we're very entrenched with them. But even the minor league baseball team here, we're in that stadium and we're really involved with that team. So it's, you know, it's fun. It's just business is not easy, but there's lots of fun parts to it as well. Yeah. I love the fact that you and your wife were working in the counter, which you mentioned core values a lot. And I think that just speaks to your core values and, and why yeah, the businesses that you're with are, are always so successful. Well, my wife was a lot better than I was, just for the record. So, <laughs> so with these different team sponsorships, how do you measure the, the impact of, of sponsoring a sports team? You know, I'm not sure you can measure it. I mean, there's the, when we're in the stadium, we know, okay, on Saturday we did 50 grand or 60 grand. There's the clear, we're there, we're, we've got a revenue model that we work and that's mm -hmm. great. Secondly, there's usually opportunities to work with some of the athletes on the team, decide, you know, do I want to work with a quarterback or do I want to work with one of the newcomers, you know, the rookies on the team and do some promotional stuff. There's that kind of thing, but then, you you know, you dial down into like, esports or local leagues that are much less tangible yeah you can say okay the team stops by every saturday you know with all the players and or there's you know there's softball tournaments going on down the street and we're down there you can you might be able to directly tie to it but there's a lot of other factors like i think just even getting good employees frankly is a huge benefit to sponsoring teams because now parents like, oh, yeah, my kid's growing up and needs a job. I'm going to send them down there because um, mm. I know they're they're involved in the community. And I know that's not something people think about all the time, but you can't open the doors unless you have good people and have a continual inflow of good people that you can develop. And some of those people may stay with you for years and grow and become part of your organizations. And I have I have lots of friends that own dozens and dozens and some that own hundreds and hundreds of you know, franchises, restaurants, and all different types. And every one of them that has been really successful, and, and some of these guys have, you know, $100 million businesses and billion-dollar businesses, It they're all focused on people and community first, mm. every one of them. So, I love that. Well, David, are you ready for our lightning round? As ready as I'm ever going to be. So it's four questions, and we've got two minutes to answer all four. So the first thing that comes to mind for each question, please share. Got it. First question, favorite youth sports memory? Growing up playing lacrosse, you know, two sports at lacrosse, and then I got into kickboxing and boxing in college. Those things were really transformational for me from a confidence standpoint and and teaching me to take risks and be out there and make mistakes and how to lose and how to win and all that kind of stuff. So I'd say those two, those two sports were transformational. Amazing. When you were a kid, what did you want to do when you grew up? I wanted to be a veterinarian. Oh, did you pursue that at all? No, but we've adopted, we've always had dogs, rescued dogs, and I can't imagine life without a dog. So that's about it. You know, I, I tried breeding dogs for a little while and learned that's just, a good way to lose a lot of money. So that's kind of how I satisf satisfied that craving. Nice. What is a brand whose marketing you admire most? Probably Chick-fil-A. Their involvement in the com local community is just, I think, their secret sauce and why they're, they've been so successful. Yeah. And finally, what is the go-to cause that you like to support? My wife and I have been very committed to building 
through different missions and ministries, building orphanages and learning centers and health centers around the world for many years. So we work and have helped fund a number of them that today are in 15 or 20 different countries and help hundreds of thousands of kids. So I think kids, orphans and single moms that struggle in those, you know, kind of the least of these kind of people that have very little ability to change their lives are the ones that really touch me the most. Hmm. That is incredible. David, you are both interesting and inspirational. It was such an honor having you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. That was great. I really do appreciate it and I really do enjoy it. So thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Wingrin podcast. Today's episode was with David Bloom. And as a recap, we discussed the values he took with him from his work in Kenya back to the United States, key components to the recipe of building a rapidly growing restaurant chain, and finally, the importance of investing in the community, particularly how it can lead to more engaged and happier employees. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Evan Brandoff. See you next time. Play on, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at leagueside underscore. See you next time.